Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Season four of the Business Integrity School is sponsored by J.B. Hunt Transport Services, Inc. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. And I am just thrilled today to tell you that we have a very special guest, one of our own from Walton College, Professor Dan Worrell. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm doing fine. Hanging in there. (laughs) Good. Yeah, it's been a long slog and we're still in the middle of COVID while we're taping this. But let me tell you all a little bit about Dan and his illustrious career. And then we're going to jump into the topic of this particular podcast and this whole season, which is all things ESG. So let me tell you a little bit about Dan. Dan is a Dean Emeritus of the Sam and Walton College of Business. He served as the Dean of the Walton College from 2005 to July of 2012. He is a professor now in the Strategy, Entrepreneurship, and Venture Innovation Department, also known as SEVI, and he holds the Walton College Corporate Responsibility Professorship. Dan has served in a variety of higher education administrative roles as well, spanning over two decades. He has held positions like department chair, associate dean, and 15 years of service as a dean at three different business schools. So he's been around the block. Dan Worrell has also published over 50 referenced academic journal articles, and that is a lot. And his work appears in top-tier research journals, including the Academy of Management Journal, Strategic Management Journal, the Journal of Management, Industrial Relations, and the Journal of Business Ethics. So the one thing that wasn't in there that I think is most important to also say is that Dan serves as a member of the Academic Advisory Board as well for the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative. And it's just been really instrumental as we've been working to kind of bake this whole topic of ethics and integrity um, across the curriculum and integrate it. And it's just been great, Dan. So welcome. It's a real pleasure to have you here today. Well, uh, thank you. you I'm happy to be here. Well, let's just jump right into the questions. And I think it's always great for the audience to get to know the guests a little bit um, personally. So can you just start out by telling us about your academic passions and how you ended up becoming the, um, the, the holder of the chair for the Corporate Responsibility Professorship at Walton College? Okay. I guess it sort of depends on when you start the story, but I'll start it uh, at my undergraduate uh, education period. So when I was an undergraduate student, I really wasn't uh, quite sure, you know, what I was going to be uh, doing with my life. Uh, I've got a few miles on my odometer, so to speak. (laughs) And so when I was uh, completing my undergraduate degree, it was the Vietnam era. And so there was a lottery at the time, and my lottery number was very low. It was 21, uh, to be exact. And so I knew that I was likely to have military service. So I voluntarily enrolled in ROTC. And so upon graduation, 
I, I was a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army for a while. Oh. And, uh, so then when I uh, completed my uh, service, I moved back uh, to uh, my community where I obtained my undergraduate degree and I held various uh, positions. Some were in uh, public uh, service, including things that you wouldn't necessarily associate with a business professor. Okay. such as a uh, social security disability claims examiner. Oh, wow. <laughs> and a public assistance caseworker. Uh, so I think that sort of uh, intertwines then with uh, some of my background and how I might end up in a CSR type space. So then while I was working, um, I decided to pursue a master's degree in management uh, in the evening. So when I obtained uh, a master's program, uh, you know, a master's in management, um, the faculty, uh, you know, I did reasonably well and some uh, professors asked me if I might uh, consider the doctoral program. And I said, well, you know, I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, well, you know, if you have an oral exam and if you do well, you know, we might invite you to, you know, given your test scores and whatever, we might invite you to uh, join our program. And so I did and uh, got a PhD, obtained a PhD in management. But uh, with the sort of human side of the enterprise, I was also interested uh, in psychology to be particular. And so I minored in industrial organizational psychology. And so one of my uh, key mentors in the doctoral program was a student uh, of a guy named George Steiner at UCLA. And uh, Steiner was the author of a textbook, Business, Government and Society, which was first published in 1980. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because some folks think, you know, this whole idea of CSR, ESG mm -hmm. is very new. Well, it's not, you know. Ed Freeman's another one that would say that, right? He's been yes. he's been after this whole stakeholder theory for a while from UVA. I love his book, The Power of And. That's a really good one yes. also. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually watched a podcast with him uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, good. About the book. Uh, so, um, so then once I obtained my uh, doctorate in academe, uh, the traditional track, you know, if you go um, in the university life, there is a traditional stream where you go assistant professor, associate professor, full professor, and then there is a sort of a parallel track on the dark side of the enterprise, which is higher ed administration. And <laughs> I did that as well, which you mentioned before, where mm -hmm. I served in various uh, capacities. And currently, I am definitely in the autumn, you might say, of my career. And so I have the flexibility, I have the academic freedom to sort of align this uh, accumulation of experiences and inquiry that I've had in my career life cycle. And so now, really, I'm primarily uh, focused on instruction in the uh, CSR space and working with uh, other students on their uh, research projects. I, I, I love it. And so what do you, so you call it CSR. And um, 
today the buzzword is kind of ESG, environment, social, and governance issues. So let me just start by asking you, do you think those two things are the same? Um, and does it even really matter what we call it? Are they after the same thing, even if they've been called different things in the past? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And at least a couple uh, thoughts about that. Um, first is, this is not new, you know, right. the general uh, concept. We can look on the academic side. Uh, there was a, a professor named Howard Bowen who published a book, Social Responsibilities of Business, back in 1953. Wow. Okay. And so then there are a lot of other uh, preeminent scholars in the field. You mentioned Ed uh, Freeman. There are people like Archie Carroll, Donna Wood, uh, Bill Frederick. There are a whole bunch of folks like that on the academic side. And then uh, from an actual practice societal standpoint, we had all these movements, all these social movements that were occurring, you know, women's uh, movement, civil rights movement, environmental movement, consumer movement. Um, and then on the academic side, in addition to like textbooks, uh, we also had the creation of journals that were specifically focused on areas in this space like uh, business and society, as I recall, mm -hmm. uh, originated in 1960. So that's one point. This is not new. And then the yeah. second uh, component about uh, the name or the nomenclature that's used. So you have CSR, you have CSP, you have uh, stakeholder management, conscious capitalism, corporate sustainability, inclusive capitalism, connected <laughs> capitalism, social entrepreneurship, purpose-driven. Anyway, there's a lot of branding going on. Yes, there can be, you know, subtle differences here and there. But in terms of ESG specifically, I would say that one of the differences, even though it's in the same space, is that there's a lot of interest in it from the Wall Street or investor community. Yeah, that seems to be uh, it new, if you will, uh, a new angle on it, and it certainly seems to have taken center stage. So why do you think that is? Um, well, I think there are a number of reasons. And so in this space, you know, you hear terms like responsible investing. You mm -hmm. hear terms like patient capital. You hear terms like triple bottom line. And so um, shareholders appear to have, you know, developed an, an interest in this. And so I think, you know, that there are, you know, people like the Business Roundtable and so on that have expressed uh, renewed interest in this. Yeah, I, I really sense that too. And I don't know if there was a particular tipping point, if it was just, uh, you know, I mean, COVID certainly has advanced, I think, many of these issues to front and center in, in many people's minds or the, the social justice issues. But, you know, you mentioned the investment community, and I don't think you can overlook Larry Fink's um, letter from BlackRock a couple years ago, the CEO, where he made it pretty clear about what 
they were going to be looking for and expecting of the companies that they invested in, both both public and private. Do you think that that may have been what helped to awaken the investment side? Um, I would say that, you know, in academia, we've been talking about um, financial consequences of being socially responsible for a long time. Uh, you know, there are like countless articles that have used different methodology to expo explore this. But um, I think in the big scheme of things, if you can sort of envision uh, two lines, one is the uh, corporate social performance, the actual performance of business, and the other that would be positioned above this line would be societal expectations of business. And mm. so between the two, there is a gap. And so CSR or ESG, these are such uh, dynamic changing concepts. And I believe that over time, uh, the expectations have changed in terms of what a business ought to do. And so, uh, Groups like uh, BlackRock that come out with uh, statements uh, that they have in these uh, annual letters, that's what people usually uh, talk about. Um, has that made an impact? Well, uh, certainly, if you look at um, the visibility and the um, rapid beating of the drum, if you will, it's been heard. You know, I don't know what the latest number is, but uh, I think uh, that BlackRock is often uh, considered as the world's largest asset manager with over $38 billion. Uh, so, of course, that makes uh, an impact. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I think the letters carry weight. Uh, to be fair, you know, from uh, a business and society or CSR perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that these do, these letters do carry such weight. Also, that in and of itself invites scrutiny, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, so uh, maybe there's some what of a disconnect that can occur uh, between talking the talk and walking the walk. Yeah. And so like, if we say ESG, well, the G stands for governance. Right. And one of the issues that's often discussed in governance has to do with uh, CEO compensation. And so yep. if, if we look at the compensation levels of uh, someone like uh, Mr. Fink, he was reported in 2020 that his uh, compensation was $29.85 million. And we compare that compensation to that of the average worker, you know, that's a huge disconnect. Now, that's not to say that, you know, his stewardship didn't add significant value. I'm sure it did. But in sure. a bigger picture, if we look at, uh, you know, the much broader landscape and we see that uh, for inflation adjusted dollars over time, the average American workers' compensation between uh, 1965 and uh, 2000 grew 30% versus CEO compensation of 2,500%.
have CEO expectations changed that dramatically <laughs> to warrant a two thousand percent increase? Interesting comparison. Yeah, just I'm just saying, and uh, also uh, I've seen some reports, uh, like I think uh, Morningstar reported that between uh, 2016 and 2020 proxy season that. Uh, the funds that we're talking about with BlackRock uh, supported only 10 of 165 climate change resolutions. So if they are indeed that responsible, are the actions uh, compatible with the words? Yeah. That's, really, that's one of the big problems in CSR is that uh, the issue of measurement is so uh, complicated. It is. So you. So let, let's turn to that and talk about that for a little bit. So you, just for the audience sake, for them to know, you teach a wonderful course, honors course on strategy uh, and in the SEVI department. And um, as part of that course, I know you talk about this topic and um, measurement, I would imagine, is one of the topics that you hit on there because that is extremely important for companies to be able to measure. So what advice, tell me what you tell your students, bring us into your classroom for a second and what do you tell your students about measurement of these kinds of things? Well, um, a lot actually, um, but um, like the current course I'm teaching this semester is an honors colloquium in corporate social performance. Uh, there are all these uh, terms that we said that you can use sure. to describe the behavior in this space. I personally, for undergraduate students, like the term performance because of the action component of it, whereas CSR sometimes is so much more of uh, what we should do. Yeah. And when you say performance, you're, you're talking more measurement. Um, Good point. So, but, um, you know, the way I structure the course, you know, this semester, you know, we've just come off of um, a couple semesters of all remote delivery. And for the first time now, we're face to face so far. Uh, this yeah. But, uh, you know, it's a moving target. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We should say this is at the time of taping, <laughs> which we're early into the semester here, a couple of weeks. So we'll see. Essentially, in the class uh, this semester, um, it's sort of more of a survey course. We're talking about uh, students that are at, I would say probably the majority of them are seniors and uh, the other component is juniors. So it's juniors and seniors. Uh, they come from a variety of majors, typically just within the business schools, sometimes outside the business schools, but I have accounting finance information systems supply chain management marketing so on i have a real mix these are all yeah. very, very bright students or they wouldn't be honor students and you know they're at the end of their pipeline in terms of getting through uh the undergraduate program so the way it's generally structured is this a colloquium which you know means a shared ex experience we have a lot of discussion uh and enrollment is capped such that you know it can be be uh, more possible so enrollment is usually like 25 students or something mm. and so um, we have usually a framing section that would be uh, followed by a reading so we'll have you know this is such a current uh, concept 
that we right. would, you know, really recent readings and we would have various uh, ways to uh, assess behaviors in issues which could be um, government influence, uh, diversity at work, consumer issues, community issues. Uh, there are 14 folders on different topics. And so, uh, you know, that's what we do. It's kind of a long answer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. So measurement, when you talk with them about that, do you talk about measurement of all of those different components that you mentioned? So they have some concept of what they may be asked to do when they are in the social, I mean, in the corporate world and have to actually perform and measure the performance? Uh, yeah, and again, you know, the big uh, caveat, of course, is, you know, these students upon graduation aren't moving into the executive suite. Right. <laughs> right. right. And so, you know, they're embedded in existing corporate culture. And so, you yep. know, how, how much different can, can they make at that point? Probably not that much. Uh, but um, at a minimum, you know, I would like the students even at entry managerial levels, you know, they will be involved with uh, multiple stakeholders. Yes. And uh, they will be, you know, actively engaged in decision-making. Yes. And, uh, so, so to speak, I like them to envision having a managerial toolkit, you know. Right, right. In the toolkit, one of the things they might pull out is a decision matrix. And I would hope that at least a few of the cells in that matrix have some uh, CSR related issues that, yeah. you know, we can't surgically implant uh, responsible behavior in an employee or a manager, but we can at a minimum, I think, ask them to at least consider that sure. the decisions they make. So that's yeah. kind of what we do. And we use a lot of case studies you know, of actual uh, corporate behavior and try to look at that behavior through a variety of lenses. Uh, that's what we do. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine courses like yours have have, have really increased in popularity uh, as of late. The, the generation of students who are in college now um, are even as consumers and I think as soon to be joining the corporate world, very interested, um, I seem to think, in companies' um, value, purpose, uh, what else are they doing to contribute to the world beyond just their, you know, stated reason for being in business and how are they going about doing that? And that seems like a real sea change to me in terms of focus um, for the for the younger generation. Are you seeing that? Yeah, I would think uh, up to a point, you know, I think a lot of the research uh, would, let's say about millennials, would suggest that other things being equal, you know, they would prefer yeah. to work uh, for a firm that uh, was more uh, proactive in terms of uh, multiple stakeholder uh, consideration. Now, mm -hmm. are they willing to take a 50% you know, pay cut or less pay to work for that particular firm? Well, probably not, but yeah. I think it is uh, definitely a component for most of the students I talk to in, in terms of their uh, desirability of what they're looking for. Yeah, and kind of goes into the goes into their decision-making matrix, I think, in a way that was different from maybe new employees in the past. 
So let's talk about reporting for a minute. There are there there's just a host of different ESG rating agencies out there. There's a lack of commonality among them. Uh, the EU seems to be a little further ahead on on this whole issue and and reporting and and maybe even some regulatory um, uh, requirements. For, they seem to be further along than even the SEC is. Um, do you? Is this a topic, first of all, that you hit on in your in your class, and and then two, do you what do you think about the need for regulation in this space? Do we do we need government regulation to help bring some uh, maybe regulatory enforcement horsepower, or is this an area where really regulation should back off and we should let industry figure it out? What do you think? Okay, there were at least a couple questions there. Uh, yes, there were. <laughs> Uh, so I think your your first one was talking about uh, all of these uh, various uh, rating agencies and things. So um, we we uh, how shall I say we referenced the ESG space earlier in our discussion uh, this afternoon, and so uh, you know the United Nations back in two thousand five or two thousand six when they came out with the principles for responsible investment. You know that globally uh, that had a big impact, and and I agree okay. with you that probably you know the European Union uh, could be considered um, a bit ahead of uh, the U.S. You know, with uh, what are some of the examples like the European Green Deal? You know, mm -hmm. where um, no net emissions of greenhouse gases by uh, 2050. But, you know, to be right. fair, I mean, who knows how this will progress, but uh, President Biden's $2 trillion climate plan, you know, is out there. And so yeah. to some extent, you know, I would say that the EU is definitely further ahead in the formalization of, yeah. of compliance, if you will, or movement uh, in that direction. But the U.S. may not be as far behind in some cases, if you consider nuances, you know, in terms of how they may move ahead. So our students, getting back to them, you know, they may read uh, uh, CSR reports that companies are putting out uh, all the time about what they're doing. And admittedly, some of that is uh, positioning, you know, yeah. uh, building brand. Uh, but uh, sometimes businesses, you know, are a little bit ahead of what, uh, the minimum requirements are in terms of sure. discretionary behavior. And the SEC, you know, I think it was in uh, May of 2020, they uh, have indicated that they're going to develop uh, a list of um, a way to rate, I should say, uh, a philosophy of rating that's somewhat independent of these third party uh, groups uh, that have uh, shown up. I mean, you have a, a whole bunch of these global reporting initiative, uh, carbon disclosure uh, project, uh, sustainability accounting standards, standards board, uh -huh. task force on climate related financial disclosures, so on. So you have all these frameworks and then you have all these rating agencies. Right. right. And so <laughs> A lot of problems there, of course, is that uh, they don't necessarily agree 
Mm-hmm. And so I think the SEC is trying to say, let's not use a third party technology or method or framework. Let's try to come up with our own. So that's uh, encourage, encouraging. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, if one is, um, you know, cynical might be too strong of a word, but, you know, financial firms offer ESG uh, products uh, because it's lucrative, (laughs) you know, not not just because it might be the right thing to do. And firms believe in part, you know, that uh, a motivation is if you don't manage these ESG risks properly, not only might you hurt your brand, but it might also, also actually hurt your bottom line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Because consumers may just choose to vote with their pocketbooks. Right. And if you don't manage them properly, they may choose to go elsewhere. It could also, you know, hurt the employee base. Uh, like we talked a little bit about before, it may not be as a desirable a place to to work either. So they have to work, worry about it from many different stakeholder perspectives. So that's, the ultimate problems in this is that, you know, even if we go beyond these uh, specific uh, frameworks and rating agencies that we have, uh, if we just look at, uh, you know, reports that uh, we receive about, uh, you know, Fortune Magazine or Business Week or something like that, we'll put out these uh-huh. our metrics and they'll say, you know, this company is uh, number one. Well, then if you drill down a bit, well, that's like an aggregate measure. And then you look at, okay, how did this company rate on, let's say, diversity? How did they rate on the environment? And so on down this list. Well, the number one company is not number one on all dimensions. (laughs) Right, right. And so, uh, you know, what does that mean then? Well, for the students, getting back to them, this is a difficult uh, bear to manage uh, right. because there's all this, uh, so many different uh, stakeholder groups, if you will, and you cannot be number one on all of these dimensions over time. You know, it's right. impossible. Yeah. yeah. Your was about regulation. Sorry for jumping in. I don't know if you want me to no. No, go ahead. or not. Okay. So I would say that ideally, um, you know, your question was government regulation or should the private sector sort of address this on its own? And my answer would be, well, they should ideally work together. (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. Rather than one or the other, you know, that at least theoretically, um, it should be a partnership. You know, it takes commitment. It's not either or. You know, business itself doesn't necessarily have an inherent right to exist. You know, it's embedded in society. So um, ideally, uh, you know, that should be the case in my mind. But as we alluded to before, these societal expectations change over time. They do. And, you know, let's face it, uh, although many businesses may, you know, voluntarily you know, engage in desirable ESG deliverables. Uh, there are some bad apples out there. You know, I mean, there's a yes. reason that we have, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley Act. 
you know. Yeah, uh, that's right. And so uh, I think government uh, has a place um, in these regulations in that, you know, it can raise awareness. It can uh, encourage compliance, not only of uh, perpetrators, if you will, but more, uh -huh. more of a general deterrence, you know, not just specific deterrence, but also uh, general deterrence. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's part of a criminal justice system, you know, is that if one person is convicted of a crime that might possibly uh, discourage others from, you know, engaging in that behavior. It can provide yeah. framework, uh, add transparency, all these um, sorts of things. But of course, you know, as government regulation has increased over time, so has business lobbying. <laughs> yes, yes, it has. <laughs> With one comes the other. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, that, that makes perfectly sense. But, you know, there can be a lot of problems that can occur. You know, there's been a lot uh, written about, you know, the revolving door where uh, industry folks go to government, government folks go to the industry, you know, the revolving door, the fox is watching the, chi the chicken coop, uh, regulatory capture, you know, like if we look at the uh, Boeing 737 MAX and how some of the Boeing uh, folks were sort of uh, being their own regulatory group in-house. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are a lot of problems that can occur. But in the big scheme of things, uh, you know, I think that the two, that is the private sector and the government need to work together. Yeah, right. that's that's a good, good answer. I would agree on that one because some of these big problems, like what we've been talking about today, all things related to ES and S and G, I think we've already seen. There's not one sector of society that can effectively solve any of those issues. It is gonna take collaboration and cooperation among the different sectors. Well, Dan, this has been a fabulous, fabulous conversation. Thank you for allowing us to kind of come inside your classroom, at least for a few minutes and and uh, be a student and learn from you. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. And I always like to leave the audience with one last answer to a question about where they might go for some additional resources if they're really interested in this in this topic. And um, I think the guests are a fabulous resource. So do you have any good books or documentaries or I don't know, podcasts or anything that you might recommend to the audience for them to well, you actually mentioned um, one that um, I think is really good, which is the power of and, oh, you know, yeah. that uh, Freeman, Martin and Palmer wrote, uh, I guess technically it was in 2020, but it's uh, a very uh, quick read. It's uh, not full of, you know, academic um, jargon. It's a practitioner focused. And I think uh, that would be uh, probably my most favorite current uh, book, if I was to suggest that. In a different uh, media, you know, I think there's a lot of film and documentaries out there that some are classic. Uh, you know, some can be depressing if you watch, of course. Uh, 
but uh, the uh, classic and inconvenient truth, you know, about global warming mm. now, or uh, some of the folks in the audience, particularly the younger people, like my students, for example, they may be, you know, the vast majority would be totally unfamiliar with that. Sure, sure. But, uh, you know, we could probably get at them with the happy feet, you know, the animated musical comedy, you know, <laughs> and, uh, climate change. So there's a lot out there, probably in terms of current documentaries and things. I would, uh, I've always watched, like to watch uh, nature kind of shows, you know, and uh, David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet uh, is uh, a new classic in that space. So those are a few that I, I would mention. Oh, those are great. Those are just really great resources. I'll have to add that new uh, nature show to my list. I don't have that one on there. Well, Dan, thank you again for your time. I uh, really, really appreciate it. And this has just been a real, a real treat and a real pleasure. So thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.